Good morning, Genesis Church. I say this so often. I love that part of our service where people mix and mingle around the room. If you want to know how to do it right, you got to like be running back to your seat by the time I get up here. So I love seeing that. Hello to those of you that are visiting with us online today. We're glad that you're here. I hope that you're nice and warm. It is chilly outside, is it not? Um, I did a little research today. Maybe this will comfort you. Maybe it won't. It's actually 30 degrees in Anchorage, Alaska, right? Let's go there. Let's go there. It's a little warmer there. Hey, we are glad to have you with us today. If you're new or visiting, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here. And as Dan said, we would love to connect with you. So find me or him after service and let us know how we can help you get connected to the life of Genesis Church. Um, Before we jump into today's message, I've got some really exciting news to share with all of you. Um, We talk about this on a fairly regular basis, but we're experiencing growth. And it's kind of hard to see it on a day like today when you're like, well, where's everybody? They're at home. They're warm, right? But On a regular Sunday, we are seeing higher and higher and higher attendance numbers. This room gets more and more full. Our parking lot gets really, really full. And so I want to share that with you all. There's things that you can do to help us. Anytime you can move forward in here and create space and be looking for people that are wandering around and looking for seats, that's really helpful for us. If you can make space in the parking lot by parking up on the hill or down that drive, that's really helpful for us because we believe the church is meant to grow. Healthy things grow. And it takes all of us partnering together uh, to to make that happen. And if you're new or visiting, we are so thankful that you're here to be a part of that growth. And we want to help you get connected to the life of this great church family. Great way to do that is to find a place to serve or to get involved with a group. You hear us talk about that in the the weeks to come. So those are some things that we need to be aware of as we enter into this new year. And I think it's exciting. Now, here's something else that's really exciting for us to celebrate today. All throughout the month of December, we talked about our Christmas offering. We've done this for the last several years. And we said our goal isn't to like to hit a certain number amount, but we want to encourage everybody, 100% participation so that we can use those funds however God would choose to, to, to make his name known locally and around the world. Last year, just so you know, the amount that we collected for the Christmas offering was around 115-ish thousand dollars. That's incredible. That was the most we had ever collected. This year, the total was $166,703. Now that is something really exciting for us. We're gonna clap for that in just a second, but we're not gonna clap for us. We're gonna clap for God because that is huge, you guys. And all those funds are going out the door to our ministry partners locally and around the world. We're gonna be able to take some of that money and set it aside for our student and children's ministry to help pay for um, transportation costs for the conferences that they go to. But that is incredible. Last year, we had roughly 150 families or individuals that gave to the Christmas offering. This year, we had 255 and 28 of those were first-time givers. They had never given to Genesis before, but they said, hey, you know what? I'm willing to do this because all that money is going somewhere else. So can we just take a moment and we're going to celebrate, but we're going to celebrate God's goodness. We're going to celebrate the things that God is doing here because it is all for his glory. So would you celebrate God with me for just a moment? It is exciting to be a part of a healthy church, a growing church, in a generous church. And so thank you to those of you that gave for the first time or you give regularly because you really are helping to fund and fuel our mission of helping people find their way back to God. If you're ready to give for the first time today, you can scan this QR code or you can give in the boxes in the back of the room. But again, we just wanna take a moment and say thank you, God, for all the amazing things you continue to do in and through our church family. So would you pray with me before we jump into today's message? Let's just take a moment to thank God. 
Father, we are so thankful for your goodness to us, your goodness that has been revealed to us through your son, Jesus. I am so thankful to be a part of a church family that values community, where we get up and we move around the room, we meet people that are new, that values community by meeting during the week to gather around your word and around your son, Jesus. I'm thankful to be a part of a generous church family where we are learning to trust you with our finances. We see them as a gift from you and we want to give back to you. Uh, we know we can't outgive you, but we are excited to see what you're gonna do in and through us collectively as a church family. Thank you for the growth that we're experiencing. And we say, we just say, Father, keep doing what you're doing and help us to be faithful in following you wherever you lead us. Would you prepare us for this year ahead? Um, help us to just be, uh, willing to obey whatever you ask us to do as a church family. We pray for these funds that we've been able to collect. We pray that they would be a tremendous blessing to our ministry partners. It's gonna be so much fun for our outreach team to call and say, hey, guess what? We actually are gonna be able to give you more money than we thought. That's gonna be a blessing to them. So thank you, Father, for the way that you are moving. Would you continue to move and help us to follow you faithfully? Holy Spirit, we invite you. We need you right now as we open up your word. Would you prepare our hearts hearts and lead us for your glory. It's, Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> a few weeks ago, my wife sent me out to the grocery to make a run uh, to get some things for dinner. And I don't mind doing that. I'm, it's fine. But here's what you need to know. She is the primary grocery shopper. She knows where everything is. She can get in, she can get out, and she can get home in record time. I am the opposite. I walk in, I am overwhelmed. I can read all the signs, but it all just melts together. I'm like a lost puppy in the grocery. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I get frustrated and I just wander. But I've learned a life hack that I want to share with all of you that will save your sanity and it will save you. It'll, it'll cut your wandering in the grocery or Home Depot or wherever you go. It'll cut it by at least 50%, at least. Takes a little bit of humility, but here's what you do. You, you read the signs and you get close to where you think you need to be. And then you look for somebody that looks like they know what they're doing. If they're wearing like the Kroger smock or Meyer smock, you're like, go, go talk to them. But look for professional shoppers, people that are like this and I need this and I need this. And all you do is say, hey, can you help me? I'm looking for this. And I've learned if you look a little desperate and you breathe a little fast, like you're like, can you help me, please? My wife has sent me. Or you just look completely helpless. They're like, bless your heart. Yes, of course I'll help you, right? There, people are so willing to help. 98% of the time, people are like, absolutely, I'm glad to do this. But there's a little bit of a, there's a, a minor side effect that you gotta get over. You gotta swallow your pride a little bit because this is at least for me, true for me. About 90% of the time, the people are like, I'm glad to help you. And then they turn about 45 degrees and they reach their arm out and right at my eye level, they're like, is this what you're looking for? That literally happened to me at Aldi a week ago. And I always have the same response. I laugh and I'm like, my wife says I don't look for anything. I guess she's right. And they bless my heart and I move on to the next professional shopper because I wanna get in and I, I wanna get out. Now, asking for help is hard, right? But I think that asking for help is a necessary life skill. We all need help with something. We just have to be humble enough to ask for help. And today we're gonna look at a passage of scripture where Jesus's disciples, the guys that knew him best, came to him and said, hey, Jesus, we need your help. Can you show us how to do this. And here's the thing. The thing that they're going to ask Jesus for help with is something that we all want and need help with more than we probably 
realize. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to follow along today. You can turn to Luke chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles around the room. I think it's somewhere around page 709, 700. That'll get you close. But if you want to turn to Luke chapter 11, we're going to pick that up in just a moment. Last week, we started into a new series, a four-week series that we're calling Strong Start. And we wanted to start this new year off by engaging with God, finding practices that help us to engage with God in our relationship with Him. So we're not talking about setting New Year's resolutions. We're talking about spiritual disciplines that we can practice to help us know God better, experience God more. And here's the good news. We're not talking in theory when we do this because we're looking directly to Jesus's life to see how he practiced these very same things. He is going to show us how to do these things. And last week we talked about practicing silence and solitude. And today in Luke 11, we're gonna find another one of these practices. So let's just jump into Luke 11, one. This is what we read. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the Gospels are like biographies of Jesus's life. They tell us where he went and what he did. And throughout those Gospels, we find his disciples coming to him and asking lots of questions. It wasn't unusual for them to ask questions. And they would ask questions. They'd say, hey, Jesus, can you explain that parable? Because I don't understand it. Or they would ask about a certain teaching. Or towards the end of his ministry, they were asking when he was going to come to rule and reign as Israel's king. So they asked him lots of questions. But what we see in Luke 11, 1, this is the only time in all of the gospels where they came and said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to do this thing specifically? The only time. And we don't see them saying, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to raise people from the dead? Will you teach us how to cure leprosy? Will you teach us how to drive demons out of people? They don't ask any of that. They say, will you teach us to pray? And here's why I think they were asking. I think what they were really saying is, will you teach us to pray the way that you pray? Because when you pray, it's different. Things seem to happen. And I want to know how to do it the way that you do. Now, this tells us, this teaches us a few important things about prayer. And I just want you to think about this. Effective prayer isn't necessarily natural for us. Now, it seems like it might be more natural for some people more than others, maybe. But it's not a natural thing. It's not something that we automatically know how to do or just can learn quickly, but it is something that can be taught. It's something that we can learn, which is why Jesus' disciples were saying, hey, can you teach us how to do this, Jesus? And I want you to imagine, what would you do later today or tomorrow or Tuesday at work if someone were to come to you or at school and they were to say, hey, can you teach me to pray? What would you tell them? What's, the, what's step number one when you're teaching someone to pray? Well, I was thinking back to when our kids were toddlers and the first thing that you teach kids, what do you teach them? You fold your hands and you close your eyes. Why do you do that? Because they're spazzes. They're moving and they're looking around. And you're like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. First thing, just be still. Just settle yourself. Close your eyes. At least do it for me. Even if you don't do it for God, fold your eyes, fold your hands, close your eyes, just be still, right? There's a posture thing when you, when you pray. So we understand that, but what comes after that? And so I think Jesus' disciples were coming to him and saying, hey, we get the posture thing, but then what? What do we do next, Jesus? Because when you pray, it's not just that something's different, it's that everything's different. And so please teach us to do this the way that you do. And here's why I think that they were asking. 
Because throughout the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn that Jesus got a way to pray on several occasions. In fact, the gospels tell us that on 33 different occasions, we see Jesus getting away by himself to pray and be with God. And so this is what this tells me. Jesus didn't just make time to pray. Jesus made prayer a priority. And I want you to think of the difference between the two, making time for something and making it a priority. There's a big difference. Think about eating dinner with your family. You can make time to eat dinner with your family. It just might be like, hey, we'll get there when we get there. And if it's at 8.30, we'll figure it out, right? Whatever. Or you can make it a priority and say, hey, we're gonna eat dinner around six o'clock. And so stop what you're doing and come to the table so we can eat together. That's what making something a priority looks like. You can make time to exercise maybe if the day permits. This is what I do. I'm like, ah, maybe we'll see. Or you can mark it on your calendar. You can make it part of your schedule, part of your routine. Here's one. This is totally hypothetical. I don't really think that this applies. But you can make time to do your homework right before you go to bed when you're tired and drained or you could make it a priority before you, by doing your homework before you play video games or watch a show. I don't think that applies to anybody. I'm just saying, hypothetically, you could see how that might apply to some people, right? When you make something a priority, it becomes foundational. It becomes part of who you are. It's not a matter of if I'm gonna do it. It's a matter of when and how often. And so making something a priority, it requires planning and it requires intentionality. And the fact that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention how often Jesus prayed tells us prayer was a priority. And one of the greatest examples we see in the life of Jesus of this is found in the gospel of Mark chapter one. This is what we read, verse 32. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. So Jesus is staying at this house and because he's staying there, it is immediately transformed into a hopping urgent care center and everybody in the town is coming sick and demon possessed. I mean, there's so much happening. And when did it happen? After the sun set, after dark. Now, given the fact that the whole town was there and there were lots of sick people and demon-possessed people, I'm going to guess this took longer than 15 minutes. In fact, I'm going to guess this went well into the evening and Jesus spent a lot of energy seeing and attending to the needs of all the people. So who could blame him if the very next day he called in and said, hey, dad, I need to take some PTO tomorrow. I'm just going to take a day or two off. I need to, I need to rest and be refreshed. I've been wrestling with demons. I need a break. Look at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, that's the difference between fitting something in and making it a priority. Jesus is modeling this for us. He didn't have an alarm. He just woke up and he knew, it's, I need to connect with my father first. And so here's a question that I just want all of us to think about. How can we learn to make prayer a priority the way that Jesus did? Does that mean that we got to set an alarm for 3.30? Does that mean we always have to leave our house and get away no matter how cold or hot it is? I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is how do we start our day in a way where we are orienting ourselves around our heavenly father without rushing out the door? 
Now, there's a couple of things that I've been trying to practice in my own personal life for years. Some of these things are helpful. Some of the, sometimes they're more helpful than others. But sometimes I used to be like, if I were up, I'd get downstairs as fast as I could. I'd get to coffee to wake myself up. But I've given myself a little grace to say, I'm going to lay here and wake up with the Lord. And I've tried to train my brain to think when I wake up, the first thing is, good morning, Father. How are you? Thank you for today. Now, that makes me sound really holy, maybe. I just know I need to connect with God. As, I know me. I need to connect with God quickly. And sometimes I lay there and I'll pray and I drift in and out of sleep. I think that's okay. He knows my heart. I just want to connect with him first. Another thing that Casey and I have been trying to do um, ever since Christmas, really, we handed out those little votive candles at Christmas time. And we, we light a candle before our kids get up, before school. And it's a reminder of God's presence with us. And we don't really say much to each other. We come downstairs at a different time, but that candle is lit. Whoever gets there first lights the candle. And it's a reminder of God's presence with us. And we sit and sip our coffee. We don't look at each other. We don't talk to each other. We're just there to enjoy one another, but most importantly, to enjoy starting our day with God. And I wish I could tell you that as we did that, that there's days when God spoke from heaven and said, it's gonna be an awesome day. Just do this, this, and this. That has never happened. What happens is we sit there for a while and we realize it's time to get the kids up. And so we get up and we begin to move throughout our day in faith, trusting God's gonna be with us. He's with us. He's gonna guide us through the day. And I'm gonna admit to you, when I was preparing this week, I thought it'd be really good to give you guys five or six things that you can practice on your own. But you know what? The best thing that you could do would be to just ask the Holy Spirit. Hey, Holy Spirit, will you teach me how to make prayer a priority in my life? And do whatever he tells you to do. He's created each and every one of us uniquely and different. So you don't need me to tell you how to do it. Just lean in and do whatever he says. Practice it, try it, and pursue it. Now, I want to circle back to Luke chapter 11 because there's some other details found in this verse that we learned. Jesus didn't just make prayer a priority. Look at what we learned next. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Now, I think it's really interesting in Luke's gospel that the day that his disciples say, would you teach us to pray? He's already praying and he's in a specific place. That lines up with the details of Mark chapter one. Remember, he got up early in the morning. He left the house. He got away from everybody else. So here's what this tells me. Jesus looked for good places to pray. Jesus looked for good places to pray. A lot of us will look for good restaurants where we can eat and enjoy food, right? Not a bad thing. Apparently, Jesus was always scoping out a good place to pray. Now, we kind of brushed on this, brushed up against this last week when Steve Davis was here. He talked about practicing solace, uh, solitude and silence, and he gave us this entire list of scriptures where we see Jesus getting away to be all by himself. And I would encourage you to take a picture of this and look those passages up just as a reminder of how Jesus pursued his relationship with God. And since Jesus is our example, I think that we should probably figure out how to practice this in our own lives. And Steve gave some really practical examples last week. He talked about how long his commute is. And he said, you know, I've been trying to turn off the radio and not do a podcast, not make a phone call and just sit and be with God. Now I have about a 20, 25 minute commute. And on my better days, I can sit in silence with God. Sometimes I want to fill that up with a podcast or a phone call, but the most enjoyable days are just days that I can ride in silence and say, hey God, I'm debriefing the day or I'm looking into the day ahead. Or sometimes I'll call and pray with somebody, but just using that time, that's a great way to do it. Sometimes it's going on an afternoon walk when the temperatures aren't horrible 
Maybe it's finding a place on your back porch or your front porch, some quiet place in your home. But what we do see in Jesus, in Jesus's life, is that he found places where he could get away from people. And so maybe you need to go into a room where you can close a door. I've heard of people that go into their closets and they pray because it is a smaller space and it blocks out all the distractions. It's a reminder of why they are there. So just find a place where you can be alone with God and begin to talk with him. So we've seen Jesus made prayer a priority. He looked for really good places to pray. But here's the big question that I think his disciples had, and I know I had, and I'm gonna guess that many of you have. Okay, but what am I supposed to say? Like, what's the actual prayer part look like? And thankfully, Jesus gave them an answer. Now, we're gonna read this out loud together because I want you to hear these words. They're familiar to us, but I think it's good for us to hear them out loud together. So would you read Luke 11, verses two through four with me out loud? He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, Matthew records a different version of this prayer. It's a little more poetic. It's probably the one that you know better. This one, when you read it, it almost feels a little clunky because there's certain phrases, at least for me, that I'm used to attaching to all those words. And we're gonna go through it line by line in just a moment. But here's what I want you to see. When Jesus' disciples, the guys that knew him best, the guys that he loved the most, when they said, hey, will you teach us to pray? You know what it doesn't say Jesus did? He didn't go, oh my gosh. Really, guys? You don't know how to do this? You don't know how to pray? Aren't you glad that it doesn't say that? Instead, Jesus leaned in and said, oh, gladly. And he gave them exactly what they asked for and what they needed. He gave them words, a pattern that they could follow. And so I think since it's true for his disciples, it's true for us. You don't need to feel overwhelmed about prayer. He doesn't want us to feel like it's a performance where we're comparing ourselves to everyone else or we're trying to find these really eloquent words. Jesus said, I'm gonna tell you who to pray to. I'm gonna tell you what to pray for. Just follow this pattern because I think Jesus wanted them and he wants us to know prayer is just a conversation with God. But more specifically, Jesus says, prayer is a conversation. Look at the first word, with your heavenly father. Now, if you've grown up around church like me and you hear Jesus talking about God as father, you're thinking, well, yeah, that's just the way that it is, right? That's the way it's always been. It's not the way it's always been. In fact, within the context of Luke 11, this was a really big deal because no one, no one prayed this way. I thought this was really interesting. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, God is only referred to as father on 14 different occasions. And usually when God is referred to as father in the Old Testament, it's mainly as him as the sovereign God and the creator of all things. So people would pray to God as father because they owed him their existence. And in the 14 times that father is used in the Old Testament, it was always used corporately, like to the nation of Israel, to a group of people. Never was it an individual reaching out to God. So the writers of the Old Testament, they believed in the fatherhood of God, but they didn't think of God as being close and intimate and personal. He was corporate. He was there, but he not, wasn't necessarily personal. But all of that changed when Jesus set foot on planet earth as a human. 
And over 60 different times in the gospels, we see Jesus, we find Jesus relating to God as his heavenly father. But that's not all. The Aramaic word that Jesus uses for father is not a formal word, not like capital F father. It was a common word that a child would use to address their father, similar to daddy, but with a little more reverence. I've heard a good translation would be dearest father. And in Matthew chapter six, in Matthew's uh, recording of this prayer, he says, Jesus prayed, our father in heaven. That in heaven, tagging that on there is Jesus's way of saying, hey, remember, he's your heavenly father, but he's also holy. And he, he sits over top of all creation. Now, all that's really important information to know. I hope that's helpful. Hope those notes stick in your head. But I want to step back from that because here's what I think we really need to see. If you're looking for a simple and easy and yet profound tweak to your prayer life, to my prayer life, all you have to do is to begin by praying to God as Father. I think it's really tempting for us to pray generically to God. Not that it doesn't count, but God keeps him distance. Father invites him close. It helps us to understand who he is and who we are to him. And so Jesus says, call him father. So one simple way to change your prayers is to engage with him as father. And in doing so, I think it'll transform our relationship with him. And I realize for some of us, we're like, yeah, I'd rather call him anything but father. I don't have a good relationship with my dad. Well, I wanna challenge you to lean into the fatherhood of God because he is our good heavenly father. He can overcome whatever your earthly father might have done. But Jesus says, this is how I want you to know him. It, it revolutionizes prayer. So when Jesus taught his disciples to refer to God as father, he's saying he's close, he's intimate, he is personal. Father is the language of affection and love, but pay attention to the next word that Jesus uses. Father, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed isn't a word that we use very often. It means to set something apart or to treat it as holy. A longer alternative to the word hallowed could be, may you be given the unique reverence that your character and your nature as father demands. Thankfully, Jesus just stuck with hallowed be your name. And I want you to think of some names in our culture that are hallowed. When you hear them, you're like, oh, that's a special person for a special reason. An obvious one, I think, is Taylor Swift. You giggle, we giggle, we laugh. She's everywhere, right? She's at the Chiefs games and she is having concerts in Europe. She's everywhere. So when you hear her name, you're like, oh yeah, well, everybody knows who she is, where she is, what she's doing. Elon Musk, he's into everything, right? We hear certain names and we're like, those people are different for different reasons. I think that's the point that Jesus is making. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy, you are different, you are set apart. And when he says, hallowed be your name, he's not talking about the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Those are special and holy in their own regard. But the word name here is really referring to God's nature, his character, his entire being as the creator and sustainer of life. And so Jesus says, you pray to God as your heavenly father. You remember that his name is holy. And then what's the next phrase? Your kingdom come. In Matthew's version of this prayer, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Now this phrase, your kingdom come, is referring to a day we just sang about a minute ago, 
It's going to be the day when God's eternal kingdom is revealed. The day that Jesus rules and reigns as the eternal king over all things. The day that sin and death is done away with and it's replaced with life and joy and peace and God's personal presence. So we pray, we anticipate that day, your kingdom come. But it also is a reminder when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a reminder that our hearts great against God's will. We are sinful by nature and we want to do everything except what God wants us to do. And so when we pray your kingdom come, it's a reminder, Father, help me, lead me in repentance, bring me back to you whenever I wander away. So I'm anticipating your eternal kingdom, but I wanna make that eternal kingdom a reality in my life right now. I need your help. And then Jesus continues and he makes this prayer deeply personal for all of us. He says this, Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I don't consider myself to be a very good prayer, but I'm a pro at this part of the prayer, right? I think we all are. If we don't know what else to pray for, we pray for daily bread. In fact, I skip the our Father who art in heaven part, and I'm just like, daily bread, here's my list. Can you, I, here's the things that we need today. We've got a sick kid. I've got this da 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 right? And I love that Jesus says, hey, pray for daily bread. You trust your father to, pro to pro provide everything that you need, but just know when, where, and how to ask for that. Pray to him first. Pray that his will would be done. Make your requests known. Ask him for whatever you need. But then Jesus also makes it practical for us in a different way. He says, forgive us our sins. Now, I want you to think about this. Right before this, he says, you pray for your daily bread, but then when you pray for the forgiveness of your sins, it's a reminder that, oh yeah, in the same way that you need daily bread, what we really ultimately need from God is forgiveness of our sins, to be restored in our relationship with him. David Guzik notes that it's easy for us to feel the need for daily bread, like it's our most important need, but really our most important need is the forgiveness of sins because it's why Jesus came in the first place. And Jesus teaches us to pray to that end, to be reminded, Father, you're gonna provide this thing that only you can provide for us. And then he wraps up this prayer by saying, lead us not into temptation. Now, as I was going through this this week, it, this part to me almost felt like a PS. It's almost like you're getting ready to hang up on the call and you're like, oh, oh, oh by the way, by the way, by you know me and I know me and we know that I'm gonna screw this up. So could you please help me? Could you please lead me to not do the dumb things that I know that I, my heart's gonna want to do? But here's what I think Jesus is really saying. He's saying, hey, you know you've got a heavenly father that loves you and that provides for you. But I wanna remind you, we also have an enemy and he wants to distract you and he wants to discourage you and he wants to destroy you. So you be sure to ask your heavenly father for help and guidance and protection against temptation. Now take a step back and I just want you to think about everything that we've learned or discussed about prayer, okay? Jesus made prayer a priority. That's not a surprise. Jesus looked for good places to pray. Maybe that's new information for you. He taught us to pray to God as our heavenly father. He's given us a pattern to follow when we pray. And all of that's good. It's important. But there's actually something else that Jesus did in regards to prayer that I think is more important. He didn't just teach it, he modeled it. And if you jump to the end of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 22, here's what you find. Jesus is having his final meal 
with his disciples. And he knows that when he leaves, he's gonna go out and he's just an hour or so away from being arrested and beaten and crucified. He knows what waits for him and look at what he does. Verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Now just look at the details. He went to the uh, Mount of Olives as usual. If you read between the lines, Luke is saying, this is what he did. This is one of the places that he would go to pray on a regular basis. And he told his followers, I want you to pray with me. And he told them what to pray for. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Verse 41, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. So they're already in a private place. Jesus goes and gets off by himself, just like he told his followers to do. He knelt down, he assumed a posture and he prayed. And who did he pray to? Father. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. This is the most grueling part of Jesus's life. And he, this is what he had always taught his followers to do. But now he is saying, We're, like, this is how life works. You go to your father and you let him know what you need. And Jesus is saying, hey, I know what's coming. Can you please get me out of here? Can you please create a traffic jam so the people that are coming to arrest me can't get here? Can you help this turn out any way other than it's gonna happen? Father, please, I'm trusting you. But then look at how he ends his prayer. Yet not my will, but your will be done. In his moment of greatest need, Jesus did exactly what he taught his disciples to do. It's what he had always done. And I remember studying this passage, I don't know, 17 years ago. And I found a pattern for myself that I've tried to apply to my prayer life overall. Here's what I want you to see. Look at what he does. Jesus showed up. He found a certain place. When he got there, he looked up, he talked to his father. Then he offered up. He made all of his requests known. And then he gave up. He started to pursue his father's will. This is the pattern that you see in his life. This is the pattern that we see play out in the Lord's prayer. And so if you remember nothing else of what I said today, I hope you remember this, not because I said it. This is how Jesus did it. He showed up, he looked up, he offered up and he gave up. And in case you think that, well, yeah, that's just Jesus. He's going through the motions. Look at verse 43. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus was not going through the motions. He was praying so fervently that he began to sweat drops of blood. He was praying to his father. He made his request known. He was surrendering his will. And do you see what his father did? Did Jesus pray for an angel that could encourage him? No. But his father and his goodness sent someone to encourage him and to strengthen him. And so I think that what, what that tells us about prayer is we can pray whatever we want, but earnest, effective prayer is saying, hey, Father, let your will be done. I trust that you'll send me whatever I need to make it through whatever's gonna happen next. That's what's true for Jesus and it's true for us. So several years ago, when I learned this pattern, when I discovered this pattern, I did something to try to make this really practical for me. I set an alarm in my phone and the time will fluctuate, but I've named the, I've named the, the alarm show up 
look up and give up. It's just a reminder for me that I need on a regular basis. Whenever I get up, I need to find a place to be with my heavenly father. I need to tell him everything that's on my heart, but ultimately just like Jesus, I have to surrender my will to him. And so if you're looking for a practical way to pray, just follow Jesus's example, show up, find a place that works for you and look up, remember who you're talking to, your heavenly father. Offer up every request that you have. Nothing is off limits, but effective prayer, real prayer. You get to the end and you say, but that's just me, God. You know best. Do whatever you want to do. Now, in just a moment, we're gonna practice this together as a church family. I'm gonna lead you through some prompts where you can engage on your own so that we can practice it here and we can get out and do it together out in the real world. But I want you to know sometime in February, I don't know the, the details yet, but we're gonna offer a prayer seminar. We did this in the fall. Our prayer team will lead it. It'll be in the living room right across the hallway. And if you wanna begin to practice these things, you can go to that seminar and you can learn how to practice this with people that are learning how to practice it. So as we wrap up today, I just wanna take a moment to create some space for us to engage with our heavenly father. We can do it here. We're gonna practice it here so that when we leave here later today and tomorrow and throughout the rest of the week, we can go back and do it again. So I wanna invite you to bow your heads, to close your eyes. You can kneel down if you, if you want or need to. I'm gonna put some prompts up on the screen, but the prompts are just gonna be directly from the words of Jesus. Those first words are our father in heaven. Just take a moment to reach out to your heavenly father and acknowledge his presence. Hallowed, holy, sacred is your name. Fill in the hallowed part with your own words in your heart. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. What do you need to surrender to his will? Give us today, give us tomorrow, give us every day, our daily bread. Let them know what you need.
Forgive us our sins. Remind us, Jesus, that our sins are forgiven through faith in you and help us to forgive those who have sinned against us in the same way that you have forgiven us. us not into temptation. Father, you know our hearts. Please deliver us from temptation and evil. Yet not my will not our will, but your will be done. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. But more importantly, thank you for showing us how to pray. Thank you for modeling what it looks like to find a place away from people, away from distractions, away from the crowds. Thank you for showing us how to engage with God as our heavenly father. Thank you for showing us it is okay to ask for anything and everything. But thank you for showing us how to surrender our will to his. Holy Spirit, would you help us to to pray and to pray like Jesus, to, to ask all the things, to glorify and worship God. But when we get to the end to say, not my will, but your will be done because your will for us is greater. Your will for us isn't necessarily safer, but it's better. It's for your eternal purposes. And in the same way that you sent an angel to encourage Jesus, would you help us to trust you will send whatever we need? It might be an angel. It might be protection. It might be guidance. It might be wisdom. It might be strength to persevere. Help us to trust you. But Jesus, thank you for not just teaching, but for applying. Thank you for living out the will of your Father to save us. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be a people that don't just practice prayer, but we engage in prayer and let it change the way that we live. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.